These transmissions indicate some intelligent life. Let us move in for a closer look. There once was a four-piece rock and roll band in the early 60s from Liverpool, England. They played the Cavern before moving on to Hamburg, Germany to play the Star Club, where they had great success. The band turned down a chance to be managed by the Beatles manager, Brian Epstein, and the Kinks manager, Larry Page. They had a number of hits in Germany, but never had much success in England or America. The group was one of the first all-female rock and roll bands. Today I have the story of Valerie, Pamela, Mary, and Sylvia, known as the Liva Birds on the 200th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Sunday morning to you. My name is Jeff, and for the next half an hour or so, I'll be your storyteller. For those new to Coffee with Jeff, my name is Jeff, and I spend about two weeks or so researching a topic that I would like to know more about, and then write it into an engaging story. Or at least that's the plan. Well, before I get started, I wanted to congratulate SpaceX and NASA for successfully getting humans into space aboard an American rocket. Right now, as I record this, Bob and Doug are orbiting the Earth in a Dragon space capsule. And later today, they'll be docking at the International Space Station. So good job, guys. So this is my 200th episode. You know, I thought of doing something special for this episode, but then I thought, why not just do a fun story? After all, 200 is just a number, no better or worse than 199 or 201. Why do you think we put such importance on numbers that end in zero? Sort of silly if you think about it. So today's story was inspired by History Daily on Facebook. They once posted a picture of these ladies, the Liva Birds, and mentioned that they were one of the first all-female rock and roll bands. So I looked into them and I thought, that would make an interesting story. There are two main sources for this story, a book called The Beatmakers, The Unsung Heroes of the Mercy Sound by Anthony Hogan, in which a whole chapter is dedicated to the Liva Birds, and a 20-minute documentary called We're Britain's First Female Rock Band, This Is Why You Don't Know Us, part of the Almost Famous series by Op Docs. There'll be a link to both these sources in today's show notes. One last thing. The band's name is spelled... L-I-V-E-R-B-I-R-D-S. So when I first read it, I said Liverbirds? What kind of a name is Liverbird? But no, it's pronounced Liverbird. Anyway, let's get to it. A real rock and roll story in which all the members were still good friends after they broke up. The Liverbirds got together about the end of 1962 and we'd been going to Cavern a lot and telling Bob Waller we were going to be the first all-female band. And about three or four months later, he said to us, do you want to come in and meet the boys? John Lennon and Paul McCartney standing there. And Bob Wallace said, boys, this is going to be England's first all-female rock and roll band. And John Lennon just looked at him and said, girls don't play guitars. One day in 1962, 16-year-old quiet and shy Mary McGlory walked into a club in Liverpool, England with her cousins and a couple of friends. Liverpool at the time was filled with music and rock and roll bands were popping up everywhere, 
but there was one group of four young men that everybody was talking about, and Mary wanted to see them for herself. Mary, whose plans had been to join the church as a nun, had never been to a club or seen a rock and roll band before. The inside of the club was so hot that, to Mary, it seemed that sweat was running down the walls. She waited until the band came on stage. Once they did, that was it. Her eyes glazed upon these four young lads, and it would change her life. She was in the cavern, and on stage was, of course, the Beatles. Oh my God, Mary said as she turned to her cousins. We're going to be like them, and we're going to be the first girls to do it. Mary McGlory was born on February 2, 1946, not long after the end of World War II. She grew up extremely poor in Liverpool. Like a lot of Europe, Liverpool still had the scars from the war and had not yet started to rebuild. Her parents, their four children, grandparents, and an uncle all lived in a three-bedroom apartment without heat. Often, the priest would come by and give the family bits of money to help them out. Mary, as a child, was so taken by this generosity that she decided to be a nun when she grew up, to pay the church back. And now, even while watching the Beatles, those plans hadn't changed. Only she decided that before devoting herself to the church, she would be a famous, rich rock and roll star. Mary said, I wanted to earn a lot of money and help my family to have a better life. And everybody she talked to seemed to think that an all-girl band was a good idea. The girls convinced Hesse's Music Center to give them three guitars and drums on credit. But of course, having the instruments were one thing. We couldn't play a note between us, Mary admitted. We tried and said, oh, this is a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. Even though they couldn't play, they would go to the cavern club with their guitars because apparently just having a guitar meant you didn't have to wait or pay a cover charge. They would tell all who would listen that they were going to start a band. They called themselves the Squaws, and even had an article in Mercy Beat magazine about the future group. And it might have only been an unfulfilled dream if these ladies were left to learn on their own. But as fate would have it, two other young girls, Sylvia Saunders and Valerie Gell, were local musicians looking for a band. They read the article in Mercy Beat about the Squaws and tracked down the McGlory house. They knocked and Mary's father answered. When they asked for Mary, he asked why. They responded, Can we speak to Mary because we believe she's got a band? He said, I don't know about that, and called for Mary. They invited Mary and her cousin Rita to Valerie's parents' house to talk about forming a band. When they arrived the next day, Val and Sylvia soon realized something was wrong. Sylvia later said, We knew they were a fraud. They couldn't play. Sylvia and Val began laughing at the other two. Mary and Rita left humiliated, vowing never to return. A few weeks later, Valerie came to their house and said, I suppose you can't play, but at least you've got guitars. I can teach you. It was at that point that Rita decided not to continue, so another one of Mary's cousins, Sheila, joined. Now Mary wanted to play guitar, but since her cousin already knew a little guitar, Mary became the bass player. Valerie Gell was an excellent musician. She had long black hair and a deep voice. Mary said of her, There was something about her that would make you feel a bit frightened if you didn't know her properly. Sylvia was bubbly, according to Mary, and she wanted to be a guitarist, but Sylvia had one problem. 
small hands, too small for guitar, so she became a drummer. Now, Rita said there was a lady she worked with who came up with a good name for an all-girl band, the Liva Birds. The Liva Bird is a mythical creature and the symbol of Liverpool. They were a four-piece instrumental band. They would practice every day after work, taking turns at each one's home, as not to irritate the neighbors too much. The first gig was for old-age pensioners at St. Philomena Church. A buzz about the band quickly developed in the Liverpool scene. I assume a lot of that had to do with the fact that they were an all-female band. They were continually getting bookings, even appearing on a TV show called A Scene at 6.30. The Liva Birds did what Mary had done earlier, and that's to bring their guitars to the cavern so they could get in for free. One day at the cavern, they were asked if they wanted to meet the Beatles, and of course they said yes. The band was taken into a back room. There was John Lennon and Paul McCartney. They were still carrying their guitars, and John Lennon said, Girls don't play guitars. These words got the band to work even harder to prove Lennon wrong. Eventually, they realized that an instrumental group wasn't going to work, so they advertised for a singer. They picked a woman named Irene Green. They began playing all over Scotland and southern England on small tours set up by a talent agency. On one of these tours, they met an up-and-coming band called the Rolling Stones. One night, Mary broke a bass string on stage and began to cry. She didn't know what to do. Bill Wyman gave her his bass while he changed the string for her. Eventually, Irene said she wanted to leave to do her own thing. And it just so happened at that club that night, there was a lady working who could sing. Her name was Heather, and she became the new lead singer. Now, as often happened back in those days, the band was taken advantage of this time by their agency. They found out one night when they were playing in a club and the other band didn't show. They were asked to play an extra set. For this, they were paid money in cash and were shocked by how much it was, a lot more than the agency was giving them. The girls knew they were being ripped off. This started a quest to find new management that wouldn't take advantage. Soon they were booked to do another small tour with another new band called The Kinks. It was about this time that Heather was getting homesick and decided she didn't want to be in a group. Talking about their problems with Ray Davies, he said he knew a girl from Liverpool who both could play guitar and sing. Her name was Pamela Birch. Pam agreed to join. Also, about the same time, Mary's cousin Sheila, who was never really comfortable in the band or on stage, decided it was time for her to leave. With the departure of Sheila and Heather, and with the addition of Pam, the Liverbirds lineup was now set. Ray told the band before they left, When you feel you are ready, come down to London and meet our manager. With Pam, they began intense rehearsals, and the sound of the band began to change. She talked Val into singing as well, and their voices complemented each other. Now, having been influenced by the Rolling Stones, they began to play more rhythm and blues. Soon they were thrilled to be offered to play the Star Club in Hamburg, Germany, just like the Beatles had done. But they had a problem. Sylvia was not yet 18. While they waited, they decided to find a manager. And they thought, why not pick the man who made the Beatles famous, Brian Epstein? They used all the money they had to buy one-way train tickets to London. 
They spent their days in a coffee shop and slept in the park, as they had no money to stay at a hotel. The day after they arrived, they were sitting in the coffee shop in Piccadilly Circus when Pam looked out the window and exclaimed, "'There's Brian Epstein!' They ran after him, and he ran away, probably thinking they were Beatle fans. When they finally caught up to him, they explained their situation. He gave the group his card and told them to come by his office the following day. They never bothered telling Brian that they were broke and sleeping in the park. Who knows what they looked like when they showed up the following morning. Epstein was intrigued and set up a gig for the girls to play so he could judge their talent. When the gig happened, Epstein didn't show but sent someone in his place. While the man liked the group, the fact that Brian didn't show up made them think that he wasn't really interested. But Brian Epstein did do them a huge favor and bought them train tickets so they could go home. Back in Liverpool, the Liva Birds decided to take Ray Davies' advice and meet their manager. Calling Ray, he got the ladies' train tickets to London and even arranged for a place for them to stay. In London, they were asked to meet the Kinks at a recording studio and to bring their instruments so they could play a song for Larry Page, the Kinks' manager. But it just so happened that, that day, the Kinks had their instruments stolen, so they borrowed the Liva Birds and began working on their new song, You Really Got Me. There was only time for the Liva Birds to do one song, so the ladies performed Reelin' and Rocking. Soon, Ray Davis joined them on guitar, and Ian Stewart, the Rolling Stones piano player, who happened to be in the studio at the time, also played along but they were still anxious to play the Star Club and were trying to get Sylvia court permission to do so. Their parents were not so thrilled about it and really were worried. They did their best to try to talk them out of Germany and just wanted them to come home. By now, both Larry Page and Brian Epstein wanted to sign the band, but the girls had Hamburg in mind. Epstein told them that Hamburg was a terrible idea. If you go there, you won't come back. The girls said goodbye to Epstein and went to Hamburg anyway. When they arrived in Hamburg, they were shocked to see all the sex. Hamburg was famous for its sex shops, strip clubs, and prostitutes. Mary, the Catholic girl who wanted to be a nun, wrote of their arrival. The cab pulled up to the street next to the Kaiser Keller Club, and the first thing I saw was the wonderful St. Joseph Church. It was so beautiful and made me feel at ease. Then we turned the corner to Grossa Fry Height and were greeted by many strip joints and bars. What a contrast. It was all sex, Sylvie remembered. Sex, sex, sex bars. What is this? At the Star Club, they were billed as the female Beatles. The band did well at the club, and a few days later they were asked to play a show with Chuck Berry as the headliner. But they were warned not to play any Chuck Berry songs. The problem was the band played a lot of his tunes. So when they were on stage and Val announced the next song would be Roll Over Beethoven, Chuck Berry's manager ran on stage to complain. Val shoved him backwards and yelled, Fuck off! The next day they were called into the office of the Star Club's owner, Manfred Wasletter. They expected to be in trouble, possibly fired. Instead, it was just the opposite. Chuck Berry's manager called and was so impressed by the girls that he wanted to take them to America. Manfred said it was up to them, but if they went to America, they would probably have to play topless in Las Vegas. 
Now, it probably wasn't true about them playing topless. It was just Manfred's way of keeping them at the Star Club, but it worked. The Liver Birds decided to complete their four-week contract with the club. Back on tour, the band played in Switzerland, Norway, Denmark, Vienna, Holland, Sweden, and all over Germany, and the crowds were getting bigger and bigger. Val called them crazy days. They felt like they were being treated like royalty, with screaming fans asking for their autograph. And by now, the ladies were more than just four musicians playing together. They had become best friends. It would be a friendship that would last their entire lives. Mary said they never worried about what would happen if they had signed with Brian Epstein or if they had gone to America. They were just enjoying themselves, and that was the main thing. Soon they were offered a rolling contract at the Star Club, which included a record deal. The ladies were loving their time in Hamburg and signed. And by the end of 1964, they had their first album. One night, another musician who was making a name for himself walked in and said, Which one's Mary? Mary said, That's me. The man was Jimi Hendrix, and he said, I've been waiting for you because I hear you make the best joints in Hamburg which apparently Mary did. They made appearances on German TV and kept recording, even doing a few original tunes. One written by Pam called Why Do You Hang Around With Me became very popular. Their biggest song was a tune originally by the Marathons called Peanut Butter. Well, there's a fool gone Now, around 1967, it all started falling apart. Not because of creative differences or clashes of personality, like so many other rock and roll stories. The girls were still very good best friends. But the first issue started just before they were offered a tour of Japan. Sylvia got pregnant. And doctors told her that if she kept playing the drums, she might lose the baby. The baby's father was a man named John Wiggins, and the two got married. And Valerie had met a handsome young man, Stefan, and the two fell in love. Unfortunately, one night he was driving from Munich to Hamburg to propose marriage to Valerie. Just before he arrived, he crashed his car. He ended up paralyzed from the neck down. Val married the man and left the band to take care of her new husband. But in early 1968, the Japan tour was already set, so two German ladies were hired to take Val and Sylvia's place. And although their time in Japan was excellent and they went over well, when it was over, Mary and Pam decided it just wasn't the same. The new girls were great, but they were not Val and Sylvia. The feeling of belonging together, Mary said, it just wasn't the feeling anymore. So we decided it was time to stop. Mary would go on to marry a German singer and songwriter named Frank Dassel. She never did become a nun. Mary said she was probably one of the luckiest ones. She and Frank set up a home in Hamburg. Sylvia said she did regret not going to Japan, but if she did, she might have lost her first son. And then, of course, she would have blamed that on not stopping playing. So she made the right decision. She had a very happy life with her husband, John. 
For Val, it was not so good. Her husband kept getting worse and worse, and Val began to drink heavy. When Stefan died after 26 years of marriage, Mary told Valerie to come to Germany and live with her, and so she did. And then something happened once she was back in Hamburg. She sobered up and found out that she actually liked dating women more than men. When Sylvia came for a visit, she said she was taken by surprise when she was introduced to Val's new girlfriend. Pam, the singer, never got over the group's ending and got addicted to cocaine and alcohol. She eventually developed lung cancer. Mary spent a lot of time with Pam at the University Medical Center in Hamburg talking about the good old days. Pamela Birch died on October 27, 2009 at the age of 65. I was with her when she died, holding her hand, Mary said. Valerie Jell passed away on December 11, 2016 in Hamburg of leukemia. She was 71. Now, the Liva Birds were basically forgotten about in the history of rock and roll, but that changed in 2019. At the Liverpool Royal Court, a new musical began called Girls Don't Play Guitars, based on the Liva Birds. Mary and Sylvia said that they loved it and actually cried the first night they saw it. At the end of each night, when the play is over, the two ladies would be introduced and play with the band on stage. They would play their hit song, Peanut Butter. written all about the Liverbirds band. Absolutely fantastic, and all the cast are absolutely brilliant. The way they take us off and that, you know, it's right to a T. And the first time we've seen them yes. on this stage with the clothes on and the wigs on, we cried. We cried. Every night you're performing with the cast, aren't you? Because it's your yeah. story to yeah. tell, isn't it? We just joined in the last song, and it's Peanut Butter, which was one of our hits. And even the audience starts singing with us now yeah. when we're playing it. A little bit before I go. One thing that I really enjoyed about the story is the fact that these ladies were still the best of friends at the end of their time as a band. In fact, Sylvia and Mary still get together all these years later. That's so refreshing. I just saw an interview with Dave Davies from The Kinks. He said he can't stand being in the same room with his brother Ray. And remember when Creedon's Clearwater Revival were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? John Fogarty refused to perform with the other two surviving members. And we know about the Beatles, right? So it's refreshing to see a band that actually stayed close for their whole lives. And isn't it strange that the two surviving members of the Liva Birds are the bass player and the drummer? Hmm, makes you think. Not really. Anyway, how about the ending credits? You've been listening to Coffee with Jeff, a Zeus Brothers Entertainment podcast. Links to all the sources that I used to write today's episode are available at Transistor.fm's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. You can find a link at the Coffee with Jeff website. If you've got a few shekels you can afford to donate to keep the show going, I'd love you for it. You can do that by contributing to my Patreon page. Just go to CoffeeWithJeff.com for more information. Hey, and tell your friends about the show, won't you? You can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. 
You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. Your story ideas are always welcome, and you can tell me about them at any of these places. I'd like to thank my wife of 36 years for being my wife of 36 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost this on social media. It really helps me out. Take care, and I hope you all remain healthy. See you in two weeks. Bye. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream. Didn't like it, now he never looks back. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee, coffee with Jeff.